Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. This morning, we're going to be talking about the church. We're going to be talking about us. We're going to be talking about the cornerstone uh, of the church and what Jesus Christ is building, what God is building here on earth. And it is uncommon. It is not what the world thinks it is. It's different. So let's, uh, why don't you join me in prayer as we open up, and then we're going to get into the message. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your word. Lord, that you, your word came alive in Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelled among men. Lord, so that, that we would know and we would understand and we would have a way to be reconciled back to you. Lord, I just thank you for what you're doing here at Valley Community Church and throughout the world, building this uncommon They didn't expect it. The world doesn't expect it. Satan didn't expect it. It was uncommon. But you chose to build your church that way. We just thank you for that. Ask that we bless this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Oh, I'm so glad that he caught that. When I sent uh, my notes to Taylor... I had on there uh, something completely different, but he must have picked up from my text, <laughs> uh, the context of the text, and fixed the scripture reference. I'm so glad that he, he was on top of it. Let's give it up for Taylor, or whoever caught, whoever caught the problem. Maybe it was Anthony. Did you catch it, Anthony? No, all right. Caught before, caught before it got to you. All right, cool. Well, as I was uh, praying and asking God you know, about what I was going to speak, he brought me to this verse in, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, and I think it's timely because of the simplicity and the foundational nature of the message. I feel Christians as a whole have become distracted with, with sensationalism. You ever noticed, or I mean, have you noticed in our society, and actually, you know, the world kind of dislikes us for this reason, is because somebody can start something anywhere in the world, and it can be a good thing, then Americans take it, and we just make it really big. Have you ever noticed that? We make it awesome, and we make it like dazzle and glitz and glamour and all that stuff. So how many people have ever watched uh, 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 Ninja Warrior? You like that show? Come on, come on. Who's watched the Ninja Warrior show? You don't like it? Oh, but, but which version did you watch? Did you make, watch the American version, the American Ninja Warrior, or did you watch the original one? The American one. I wanted to just point out something. It's really interesting to me. So in, was it Japan or China? I'm not sure, but I think it's Japan. So they started this Ninja Warrior show, and it was teachers, and it was common people, and it was, you know, just the regular Joe, and they're running across this obstacle course, and they're just getting slammed, man. They're getting knocked off pedestals, and they're jumping over stuff and getting slimed with stuff, and it was just this really fun, just, you know, amazing show. And then it became really popular. 
And so what the American uh, media industry, they got a hold of it and said, well, hey, let's make this America Ninja Warrior. And now it wasn't in the daytime, like, like over there, it was just like in the daytime, it was average people. But then it became so big that it was this monster tower and there's lights and there's glitz and there's all this stuff that you got to do and, you know, bells and whistles. So the world has a tendency to just sensationalize things. And I want to caution you this morning not to be distracted by what's going on. There's lots of things going on in this world politically, economically. There's lots of things going on in this world. But Jesus Christ didn't call us to be part of that or to be distracted by it. He called us to something that's uncommon. And you just saw a little <laughs> you just saw a little glimpse of what Jesus has called us to and what God has called us to. So this morning we're going to be we're going to be looking at some scriptures. But I want to point something out. You know, we just got done doing 1 Corinthians uh, as a small group. And one of the things that Paul said in 1 Corinthians was I did not come and preach with persuasive words, but with what? With the Spirit and with power. See, Paul was a smart guy. He could speak. He was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. He was, he was groomed to be a high priest. He was on his way up. And he could have come and he could have persuaded uh, Gentiles and, and the like with persuasive words of wisdom. But he said, I didn't do that. I came with a simple message, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I think we need to get back to the basics a little bit and not, not be focused and distracted by this, the, the glitz and the glamour of this world. That We need to get back to what Jesus Christ died for, the church and his people. So today, starting, we're going to start out uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, I've expanded this just a little bit um, since I, I wrote the notes. Um, we're going to go ahead and read um, 1 through 10. I'm going to read 1 through 10. But we're going to be focusing on uh, verses 4 and 5 of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. All right, so if you will, turn your Bibles there. It says, a living stone, a holy people. So put away all malice and all deceit. And hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I'm going to stop right there. Because I got a brand new guy, uh, great, what would it be? So, great niece. So, Justin's my, my nephew. So, his, Josephine, is my great niece. So I went and visited Josephine last weekend. I was holding her, and I know how to hold a baby. I have a few of them things, you know, a few more than a few, <laughs> right? And I'm holding her, and you know what she started doing? Well, she did cry a little bit, but she was like, I'm like, I'm sorry, darling, but I got the wrong plumbing for that. And she was just, ah! she was looking for that milk, all right? She wanted it. She wanted it bad. I mean, she was arsing her back and squirming all over the place and crying. She wanted that milk. 
Don't you just love the descriptions, the imagery in the Bible? Makes me laugh sometimes. We're, we're supposed to be like a baby looking for milk. We're supposed to be yearning and desiring and pitching us a fit when we don't get it. <laughs> we're supposed to be looking. Just give me the milk. Give me that spiritual milk. And that's what Peter's talking about here. And I like this last part. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Man, there should be a desire in you. If you've tasted that the Lord is good, there should be a desire in you for that spiritual milk. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice, acceptable, everybody say acceptable, to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were not, you did not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. Everybody say amen. There's some good stuff in there, you guys. I'm going to give you six steps that I see in this section of Scripture, focusing on verse 4 and 5, that God has put in place for us to worship him and for him to receive our worship. A spiritual act of worship, acceptable and pleasing to God. What does that look like? You know me, don't tell me something unless you're going to, I'm a, I'm a visual person, show me what that looks like. Well, I'm going to give you six steps. I think this is going to be a series because I had a really long message and we'd have been here for at least two hours after I got done writing it. But I'm going to give you six steps. I'm going to break it up a little bit. And then we're going we're gonna to wrap it up. And then when Pastor Dave goes on vacation again, I'm going to give you the second part. <laughs> so you're going to have to wait for a few weeks because he'll be going on vacation at the end of August. So um, we're just going to take a look at these uh, six steps to start out with. How spiritual sacrifice becomes acceptable to God. I want you to notice that the six steps in the way that God is getting spiritual sacrifice for himself that is acceptable to him. So first of all, he starts out with Jesus Christ, the living stone. In uh, first, in verse four, we have Jesus, the living stone. Peter calls him a stone because of the 
uh, prophecies in the Old Testament, just as, as he referenced there. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, Isaiah 28. Did you, this is just kind of sidebar, the, the Jewish people believed that they were the stone. Did you know that? They didn't understand that it was Jesus was the stone. It was a person. It wasn't a people. But I want you to remember the imagery, uh, I mean, Peter's using imagery here. So the, the, and he's talking to Jewish people, so he was using imagery that they would understand. They would know what he was talking about. They would know the reference in Isaiah. They would know, but they, but they would think that it's talking about them. So he's revealing, trying to reveal something using imagery from the Old Testament to reveal something, uh, a New Testament concept. Sound familiar? Old Testament, Jesus concealed. New Testament, Jesus revealed. So the template that God set, set into place in the Old Testament the structure, everything, the law, sacrifice, the temple, worship, everything was to do what? To point to Jesus. So Paul, or excuse me, Peter begins to use this imagery to, to show the, his audience, the people that he was connecting with, that this stone, there's a living stone. That's going to be placed in Zion. And it's going to be the cornerstone of everything that God builds. They thought it was them. But it's really his church. It's the Christian church. So let's look. This stone is going to be rejected rejected by the builders. But God is going to make it the cornerstone. Psalms uh, 118. So that's the first thing that God did. He took Christ, he took Jesus, and he placed him, even though the, the builders had rejected it, even though the world did not accept it, they did not see it, did not see him, they had a different idea. God placed Jesus, for those that would believe he would be a living stone. Do you guys know what that means? A living stone. That's pretty cool because when, when uh, there's something living, alive, spiritually alive, and you come into contact with that spiritually alive stone, Jesus, what happens to you? You change. You become alive. You become a living stone. And the imagery here is that not only did he place a living stone in Zion, but all those that would put their faith and trust in him are going to become living stones too. And then the master builder is going to go to work. Now that the chief cornerstone is in place, he is going to build his church with every single stone that comes into contact with the living stone. We become living stones with him. Number two, those longing for him come to him. So second, in verse four, those who have tasted that the Lord is good. 
and now long for him the way that a baby longs for milk. They now come to him. And come to him as a living stone rejected by men, but chosen and precious in the sight of God. Man didn't see how precious he was. You know, only by the Holy Spirit can we see. That's why I believe in predestination. (laughs) Because we would never even see that Jesus Christ is the living stone unless God revealed it to us. Unless he opened our eyes to it. Because the world rejects him, but we accept him. And we're, we long for him. How many people long for him? Do, do you long for him? I mean, when you wake up in the morning, do you just take a deep breath and you go, oh, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come, fill me. Jesus, come, fill me. I long for your presence. I long to know you. How can, how can people walk through the trials and tribulations of this world the torment. The th- I mean, there's stuff going on. You know that? People are dying. People are being tormented with lots of different things. How can somebody that is, is dying of cancer have joy? Right? How can a doctor look at you and tell you you've got breast cancer and you're overwhelmed with this sense of, <laughs> what? what did he just say? There's another, right? Right, Jerry? Well, we got some cancer survivors, some people healed of cancer right here in this church. How can you look at the doctor and after he tells you that, go, my God is good. The cornerstone can't be moved. And it certainly can't be ignored. But those who have faith, they become living stones themselves. Those that don't, doggone rock, stupid rock. One day I'm going to dig up that rock. It's a stumbling stone. The world just doesn't see it. But for those that believe, that have faith to believe, we see it. He is the living stone. And he's precious. Number three, we we ourselves are shaped, I kind of alluded to that, we ourselves are shaped into living stones. The result of this coming to him is that we are shaped into stones for use in a spiritual building. Verse 5, you also, as living stones, are being built. You know, contact with with Jesus, I don't know about you, but I sure am a different person now than I was then, before I came into contact with the living stone. See, back then... I told a little story, <laughs> and my kids were like, of something that I did when I was a teenager, and I had 
you know, robbed this place uh, that I worked. I broke in and stole the safe and cracked it open and stole several thousand dollars. And I was telling my kid, my, the older kids, but my little boy, Ian, was listening, and he was like, like, I can't believe you did that. He goes, you were bad. I go, yeah, and if you ever do anything like that, I'll beat you. <laughs> You're going to see how bad I am. But you know, I didn't have a dad there to tell me. My mom told me. My mom did the best that she could. But sometimes young boys that are strong-willed just need a dad. You know what I mean? They need a dad to say, uh-uh, call him into account. Say, no, you ain't going to do that. You know, in high school, I was, you know how you get the things like voted the most likely to? I was, you know, 6 o'clock news was when all the people that had got arrested, you know, they put their faces on the 6 o'clock news. I was voted most likely to make the 6 o'clock news <laughs> at my high school. <laughs> but you know, when I came into contact with that living stone, I was changed in an instant. And the things that I used to do, I didn't want to do anymore. Things that I used to long for, I didn't long for anymore. Now, does that mean that I was totally set free in an instant and I didn't have things that come up? Well, no. No, 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 no. I still struggled with violence. I still struggled with anger. I still struggled with all that stuff. But I knew that God had called me to do and be something different. So as I come into contact with the living stone, and as I continued to, to live in that place, he began to shape me. He began to forgive me. He began to give me freedom of all the things that, and all the snares and entanglements that were within my soul. All those strongholds that the enemy, I had allowed the enemy to build, be built up. The Holy Spirit came in and started tearing strongholds down brick by brick, sandbag by sandbag, started tearing them down, and then the Holy Spirit would replace God's word in the lies and deception that the enemy had built. It's like, you know what, hewing, hewing I think it's hewing or hewing, like a stone, when you, you carve it and you shave it down, hewing. So that, I, I see that picture. When I come into contact with Christ, he begins, to, <laughs> he begins to grind away at all those rough edges and all the things that don't fit. Because then what does he do with it? He takes us and he puts us into place. And he fits us together like this, this mosaic, beautiful mosaic. He fits us together with all of our personalities and our eccentricities and all of our differences and in culture and in everything, family history. He fits us together and he builds something amazing. He builds a house. And this is the imagery that, that Peter gives. He builds a house. What's this house going to contain? Guys, what's the house going to contain? This Holy Spirit. So it's a spiritual house. Not a physical house. He's got a plan, and you're part of it. 
you're here this morning, you're not here by mistake. You're not here by accident or happenstance. You're here for a reason. And it's to come into contact with the living stone so that you can be molded and shaped and put into a place of his master architectural plan to house the Holy Spirit for what purpose? So that he can be glorified. Did you know that? The chief end of man is to glorify God? Come on. Westminster's Catechism, first question, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. We know that. He's building a house that the Holy Spirit will come and dwell inside. Will come and dwell inside. So that we can offer up spiritual worship that is acceptable and pleasing to God. So the ultimate goal is what? That God would be glorified through our worship. Step four. When we come into contact with the living stone and we are shaped into living stones ourselves, we are built into a spiritual house. Christ is the builder here. He builds individual Christians into a spiritual temple It's spiritual because it houses the Holy Spirit. But you do not know. Oh, yeah, this is a quote quote out of uh, 1 Corinthians. This is good. Uh, Chapter 3. Do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy uh, Holy Spirit of God, excuse me, of the Spirit of God who dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 3.16. See, this is not a reference to uh, to the local church. Excuse me, this is a reference to the local church, not to individuals in this context. Okay, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he's talking about um, the local church. He says that you cannot destroy it. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it's, it's, he's talking about the church, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when he says, flee from all sexual immorality for all are sin a man commits is outside the body. Do you not know that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of you? You were bought at a price. You are not your own. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now there, he's talking about, he's talking about you individually. How many people know that's a good scripture to memorize? <laughs> all you men out there, all those ladies be like, you better memorize that. Flee from all sexual immorality. Doesn't say stand up against it. It doesn't. Say, oh, this is kind of off the topic, but that's one of my verses. <laughs> it says flee. But he's talking, and in chapter six, he's talking about you individually. Chapter three, he's talking about the church being a temple of the Holy Spirit. What we see so far is that God lays this stone, Jesus Christ, in Zion that is in Jerusalem. And men rejected it, crucified him. But God has chosen this stone and regards to him as infinitely precious. It's a choice stone. It's a precious stone. Do you see where I'm going? What are we focused on here? Are we focused on the the glitz, the sensationalism of this world? 
Are we focused on the thing that is most precious? And we just had that play. Precious. <laughs> Smeagol comes to mind. Are we focused on the thing that's most precious? That chosen stone? And he raises him from the dead and makes him an ever-living stone. Everybody say, ever-living stone. And he gives him the place of highest honor as the head of the corner. All of this to the end that Christ might gather a people who would themselves be like him and would make a temple, a church, the eternal dwelling place of the Spirit of God. He's doing all of this, not temporarily while we're here on earth. He's building an everlasting temple. The imagery, go back to the Old Testament. What did he build? A temple to do what? To house the Spirit of God behind a big curtain. It was a template of what he was going to do in us. He's building a house, a spiritual house, to house the Holy Spirit within us to offer up spiritual worship. So all the sacrifice, all the things that they did in the Old Testament was just imagery. It was just a template of what was to come, what God was building. What was he building? A church, the Christian church. But you know, you can only get so far with, with imagery. Do you know that? Because eventually it breaks down. It breaks down under the weight and the complexity of what God's doing. We have a simple message to preach, but what he's doing is pretty complex. So, I just told you that he's building a house to contain the Holy Spirit, right? Well, if we're the house, we're the building, we're housing the Holy Spirit, but now you're a priest too. A royal priesthood. Not only are you the house, but now you're the priest offering sacrifice. See, back in the old days, the priest would offer sacrifice for the people. They would come, they would cut up the animal, and they would sacrifice pieces of them. <laughs> I wouldn't want that job cut that thing up and separating it and doing all the sacrifices and sprinkling the blood on the mercy seat and all that, that stuff. The priest offers sacrifice for the people. Well, guess what? People get things confused because you know what? I'm not a priest. Well, I am individually. But as a pastor, see, we get, we get confused a little bit. The imagery starts to break down. We think that if we're creating a priesthood, then the pastor gets up here and we, and we just say, absolve you of your sins and we make sacrifice for you like they did in the Old Testament. And I'm the priest and you're, you're just the people. God flipped that upside down, didn't he? You're the priest. You're supposed to offer up sacrifice. You're supposed to praise him and bring glory to his name and to honor him the priesthood is established right here in this section of scripture a royal priesthood a holy nation 
we become more than just the building. We become the priests that offer up the sacrifice. All the lay people, vocational pastors, are the priests of the new spiritual house. And our privilege now as priests is to draw near to God with spiritual sacrifice. Spiritual sacrifice is worship. The priests brought the sacrifice into the tabernacle of the Old Testament, but now that the tabernacle has been replaced with the Christian church, the atoning altar is replaced by Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And the priests are replaced by you, those who believe in Christ. Spiritual sacrifices are offered to God through Jesus Christ. His goal was that all sacrifice come through Jesus. To kind of preempt myself. Because nothing that you could ever do would be good enough on your own. Only that sacrifice that is offered up through Jesus Christ, the living stone. So, six. The goal of all of this, uh, that spiritual sacrifice would be offered up and acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Make sure Jesus gets his due right here. God's aim is that we offer him spiritual sacrifice and we can only do that through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the living stone. Everything hangs on him coming to, uh, coming to the living stone. If we don't come to Jesus, the living stone, then we don't have life. And we are not built into a spiritual house. And we are not a holy priesthood. And we cannot offer spiritual sacrifice. It all hangs on Jesus. I saw something really sad. And I might have told this story to a couple people. I saw something really sad. Made me cry. Of course, you know, it used to be really super hard and cool and hardcore and airborne. hoo right? 82nd airborne, all that stuff. Now I cry pretty easy. Because <laughs> God has changed me. He's changed my heart. I was watching Larry King, you know. I guess you could cry watching Larry King, but <laughs> Larry King live. But there was, this is going to sound like a joke. You guys think I'm going to be joking. But I saw, um, am I over time? Huh? No? Good. It said zero, 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 zero on there. I was like, darn, I went over anyway. <laughs> but I saw uh, two rabbis, the head of uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, and a Jew for Jesus on Larry King live. Sounds like a joke, doesn't it? But what they were all upset about was the Baptist had uh, made some literature on how to win Jews for Christ. How to show in the old, and so it was through symbolism and imagery, just like Peter's doing here. Symbolism and imagery and different things, using Jewish culture and history and scripture to show them that Jesus is the Messiah and then win them to Christ. Well, the, the two rabbis were livid. They were upset. That they would use their imagery, their holy relics, their, their things that they, you know, have in Scripture to try to win people for Jesus. And I'm sitting there going, 
you know, there was this rabbi named Paul, uh, you know, that kind of did the same thing like a couple thousand years ago. And I think it's been going on. <laughs> I'm like, you guys are a little bit late to the game. <laughs> it's been going on for a long time. But something that the, the rabbi, one was mi- more mild than the other, one that was really upset. The, I love my Baptist brothers because the president of the Baptist convention said, let me ask you a question. If you died tonight, would you know that you would, be enter, you would enter into heaven, that God would accept you? And you know what the rabbi said? He said, I could never presume to know the heart of God. I could never presume to know whether I was good enough to get into heaven. All I can do is hope. I mean, this is word for word, baby, because I got a good memory. All I can do is hope that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds and that I will find favor with God and he'll let me into his kingdom. I'm about to cry right now. (laughs) Could you imagine living that way? No assurance of salvation. To to live your entire life trying to measure up, trying to do enough good things that you'd be accepted by God. To me, that's, that's just horrible. And I wept and I prayed for him. I said, come into contact with the living stone that's right there in Isaiah. It's right there. Behold, I am laying a stone, a living stone in Zion. If you believe in him, you will live forever. It's there. It's in the scripture, in the Old Testament. They just don't see it. We have to give Jesus his due. That's why Peter ends verse 5 with the words to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is infinitely precious. This should cause us to love Jesus with all of our hearts. He is the only way. He is the only way to live forever. He is the only way to dwell with God. You know, Pastor Dave's been preaching, and it, it's kind of interesting how God, you know, I know what Pastor Dave's been preaching. He's been preaching about Jesus. <laughs> He's been preaching about what Jesus taught his disciples, the Sermon on the Mount. He's been teaching on, on Jesus himself. And then when I began to pray about this, I didn't have in mind, oh, I'm going to, you know, tag on to what Pastor Dave has to say. I said, Holy Spirit, show me in Scripture where you want, what you want me to teach, what you want me to preach. And then so the Holy Spirit takes me to this section of Scripture, and the, whole, the thing that overwhelms me, now, could it be influenced by Pastor Dave's preaching? Yes, without a doubt. But the Holy Spirit impressed on me the infinitely precious stone. You ever just hear God's voice, and it might just be a word, or it might just be two words, but you know clearly, but it's like a full revelation. <laughs> 
living stones. How precious is it? We can do nothing acceptable. Only through Jesus Christ is anything that we do acceptable and pleasing to God. This is in verse 7, he says that he is precious, costly to us who believe. Yes, infinitely precious. There is no greater value in the universe than Jesus. He means more to me than anything or anybody. Does he mean more to you? That's tough. I can look at my wife and I can say, I love you, but I love Jesus more. And you know what? She doesn't get jealous. <laughs> she looks at me and she says, I love him more than you too. <laughs> the lover of our souls. And I'm sorry, but we're missing it. I think, I think a lot, I'm not saying you, look at your neighbor and say, he's not talking about you. We're missing it. We have to be consumed, overwhelmed, every single day with the love of Jesus Christ. Longing, 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 longing for him, just like a baby longs for milk. Just think of all the people around the world who know there's a God. Nature declares his glory. And their own conscience tells them it must be so. Science, right, Karen? They can see it. I know there's a lot of scientists out there that look at, at experiments and see stuff and they go, Shh, I can't say anything. They're afraid to go against the academic world, because they'll be ostracized or they'll be pushed aside. Because even in nature, nature declares the glory of God. Every single culture ever known, the anthropo anthropological argument, every culture <laughs> that's ever existed, catch this, that's ever existed understood that there's a spiritual realm, that there's something beyond this life. Every culture. How is that? I mean, you think about every, every culture in the whole world for all time, every single one could look around and go, man, there must be a God. Just look at nature. Look at us. Look at everything. There has to be a creator. There has to be a spiritual world. But the sad thing is, They'll never know Christ unless we tell him. Unless we go. They'll never understand what it is to come into contact with the living stone. They try rituals. They try discipline. They try sacrifice, vows, relics. They put their faith and trust in a lot of things and virtues. All kinds of different stuff. 
but they'll never know Jesus Christ. Number one, unless God reveals it to them. And number two, unless we go and tell them. God says, the sacrifices that are acceptable to him are acceptable only through Jesus Christ. Not through human effort or human merit or human achievement, but through Jesus. That's why Paul said in Romans 15, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. The preciousness of Christ to, the hearts, uh, to our hearts is, is this. Through him, we know God and come to God and experience the presence of God and offer acceptable sacrifice to God. And without him, all is distant, all is darkness, all is wrath. Christ is precious, very precious.